Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I've got an exciting guest for you. I've got Miss Judy Cho there for you, all the way from America. And so, Judy, who are you? What do you do? And what brings you here today? Yeah, thank you again for um, you know um, inviting me, and just thank you for letting me be on your podcast. Um, so, hi everyone. My name is Judy Cho, and um, I'm better known as Nutrition with Judy. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. So I have a private practice in Austin, Texas. It's mostly remote or virtual at this point um, where I see clients get to root cause healing oftentimes with an elimination diet using a meat-based um, protocol with uh, for gut healing. Um, I basically share information online because I found my health back after being plant-based for 12 years. And so uh, I struggled with depression and eating disorder, and I healed all of it, um, essentially with a meat-based diet. And so now I'm just giving back because nutrition is my passion now. And uh, knowing that food can change so much, much of your health is such a big deal. And I think uh, changing a lot of the narrative around the misinformation around nutrition has become such a passion of mine to give back. That's great. It's absolutely brilliant. I wonder if you can take us back and tell us a little bit about why you decided to become plant-based originally uh, at the start. Sure. So I am from Los Angeles, California, and then I went to uh, University of California, Berkeley. Both areas are very plant-based friendly. And so I honestly, it was a vanity thing. Um, I probably had an extra 10, 15 pounds and people were starting to do the uh, master cleanse or the lemon detox where you just drink uh, maple syrup, lemon water, and then you do like enemas um, once a day. And the and I've always been an inquisitive mind. So I just don't follow a diet. I need to understand the mechanics and everything. And so I read that doctor's book and he talks about how meat just putrefies in your diet and it's the, or your gut. And it's the longest thing that takes the longest to digest. And it made a lot of sense to me. So I thought, okay, so if I'm eating rotting meat, it's just going to make me feel worse. And so I, uh, lost weight on the master cleanse, obviously, because you're eating nothing for, uh, 10 days. And so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to try and not eat meat. And then it became a 12 year stint. Um, I never realized that processed food and then removing meats would actually cause me to have more severe depression. I never knew because, you know, the, the thought is, oh, plant-based, you're so healthy, right? So there's that kind of narrative. Um, and I followed it and then going to Berkeley just furthered that because Berkeley is such a plant-based friendly city um, until I basically hit a wall. So I had a child and um I just had a breakdown because I took antibiotics and I think it wiped out any semblance of, uh, I guess, good gut bugs I had. And then it just, I didn't want to go through that with my second child. And so I really dug into nutrition. And then I found that a lot of the narrative around meat um, causing heart disease, uh, being so bad for your health was so false. And that actually I was eating a lot of anti-nutrient rich foods that were depleting me of minerals. And then I was also nursing when I got really sick. And I just realized that plant-based is actually not ideal for most people. Um, but I, you know, followed mainstream media or, you know, the common narrative that plants are so healthy for you. Um, but it's just not true. I think that's the case with a lot of people. A lot of people follow those headlines without actually digging into the science or the studies or anything behind them. 
And it's great that you know, the, the thought in the thought process you have where you think, right, I'm really going to dig into this. And I think if more people did that, they would realize what's going on. The problem is it all gets put out there in the media and people sort of get drawn to it without realizing what they're doing. So uh, along your, your journey, then you thought, right, OK, I better research this plant uh, diet here, see what's really going on. Then you actually found out that perhaps eliminating meat from your diet wasn't the best way to go. So I presume then you started to add it back in. Yeah. So what ended up happening was I got sick with my first child. Um, and then, he, so I went on anti, anti antipsychotics, antidepressants. Um, my therapist back then, uh, my psych psychiatrist was like, your brain is just wired where you're mildly depressed your whole life. And so you need to be on antidepressants. What's so wrong with that? So I, you know, blindly listen because he's a doctor, so he should know. And then I went on antidepressants in three months time, my depression was just getting worse. And so then it was like, I was at the highest dose. And then after that, um, then they started trying to add other supplementary medications that kind of complement the depression. And when I got pregnant with my second, I didn't want to be on medication. So I didn't take any of it. And then I just had this deathly fear that I would get sick again. So during, while I was pregnant, I was doing a lot of research and just studying about nutrition. And then I found keto. So after having my second, um, I tried the keto diet and it helped a lot. And then as I was following a lot of the information within keto, you know, most people eat meat on a ketogenic diet. And I just started seeing a lot of the nutrient facts about meat and how it's so nutrient dense and like, what is even nutrient density, right? I didn't understand any of that. And then as I just started peeling back the layers, I realized a lot of it was my diet. Um, a lot of my mood changed by just incorporating a lot of good fat. So all of a sudden I'm eating avocado oil and even MCT oil, um, olive oil. I used to, uh, you know, be completely fat free as much as you could on a plant based diet. So I probably did it wrong. So there are some people that thrive on a uh, plant based diet, they probably do it a lot more smarter than I do. But I didn't I went low fat plant based, which was not smart. Um, so doing keto helped so much. But the the nuances of allowing yourself 30 grams of carbs a day, especially for someone that came from disordered eating, it never helped. So I was on the keto treats, the keto fat bombs, the, the erythritol laced, you know, junk um, snacks, and it never got rid of my sugar cravings. And so I'd always eventually crave and I'd fall into real sugar again. And so after just reading a lot about keto, I just decided, you know what, there's a period of stress that's coming maybe I just try this carnivore diet that people are saying is so healing. And I was going to just do it for two weeks because I didn't want to struggle and then turn to sugar when it was such an important time. Um, so that two weeks did became now like over three years. And, you know, I, the more I dug into the science, I couldn't believe the stuff I was finding. And so I went back to uh, school to get my nutritional therapy certification and now I'm just giving back because now I'm angry that my psychiatrist back then told me I was wired to be depressed when I have never had a bout of depression ever since being carnivore. So, yeah, well, yeah. that's it. I mean, that's the way we're meant to eat, as I've described a lot more times. Right. Ancestrally, it's the way we're meant to eat. We're meant to eat meat. We are humans because we eat meat. That's the reason we got big brains and, and became human beings. But I like your story there. It's really, really good because I think a lot of people can resonate with that a lot of people start 
off going into keto. Well, maybe even people start off with plant-based and then go into keto, but then perhaps fail. And maybe they fail because like you say, there's a lot of keto now, especially now keto products out there that uh, brag that they're keto products, yet they're still laced with certain sweeteners and it never quite gets you off that sugar roller coaster. You can still spike insulin, still spike glucoses with all these different kinds of, of sweeteners. So I'm pleased then you pushed it to the next step and thought, okay, I'm going to carry on with this and pushed it into carnivore because I certainly believe that a carnivore diet is probably the best reset diet anybody can do. If you want to eliminate any symptom you've got or, or anything that's just bugging you in the background, then go to that carnivore diet, see how you feel like yourself a couple of weeks, give yourself that, that time frame just to see what's going on and basically reset your body. Now, I, pre I presume that's what you say you did. You reset your body. Have you carried on being carnivore now or do you add, add back in other things into your nutrition? Yeah. So when I first started, I was very strict. Um, I followed the kind of mantra of two pounds of meat a day. So um, I'm not sure how much that is in grams, but it was way too much meat for me. So what I noticed was, and this was right around the time I was also going through nutritional therapy school. So I felt like I was, you know, being a good student and following what the um, older carnivores were saying about, okay, here's kind of the protocol you should follow. And so I, I, kind of trusted it blindly, but my health was not feeling as great. So after my one meal a day, my energy would tank and I would need to take a nap or I just felt so tired. And I used to never get that way with food. I started checking my blood glucose and sometimes it was in the one forties. And that's when I knew something was wrong. Um, it might've been, you know, maybe I was just wired where I wasn't eating meat for 12 years and to eat all of a sudden, like a pound and a half to two pounds of meat was too much um, for my body to break down and it just caused attacks on the liver. Um, maybe I didn't have enough, the ability to break it down into amino acids, whatever the reason is my blood sugar was going up and I just felt horrible. So I ended up having to split up my meals. I started eating more of one gram of protein and um, to about uh, one pound of ideal body weight. So I ended up only eating about a pound of meat. And then I started eating higher fat. So I started eating more like 75% fat in terms of total calories instead of just what was on the steak. So now I add maybe two to three tablespoons of butter or tallow or, you know, ghee or whatever fat it is um, to my steak. And then I eat like the fattiest cut. So I get the fattiest cut of ground beef or mince, um, or I get the fattiest cuts of ribeye. Um, I will eat more of the egg yolk and not the egg whites. But uh, so now I'd say, and then when also in the beginning, I wouldn't even use seasoning. So if there was like a tiny, like if there was barbecue with a bit of sugar on it, even on the rub, I'd be like, I cannot eat that. If there was any bit of green seasoning, I used to say, I cannot eat that. Um, and I was really strict like that for a year, but it was very hard to live in the real world. So my family would want to go out to eat. And then I would have to say, okay, I cannot get the steak cooked in X, Y, Z. I, here's my extra butter I brought in. So can you cook with this? And it, it was impeding the balance of real life. And that's when I just said, you know what? I don't have an autoimmune disease. I don't know why I'm so strict when it was more, I was trying to heal my gut, which I've done with, you know, taking digestive enzymes and working on healing the gut. So why not be more flexible and try to also, you know, understand as I was um, studying more of the gut, resiliency is being able to eat a variety and still be able to tolerate it. So 
I'd say now, you know, if there's a little bit of plants, like sometimes I'll eat it, sometimes I don't, I definitely notice bloat. But in general, most of my days are carnivore because I feel the best. So it's that I choose, it's not that my body cannot tolerate. And I think that's a huge difference in healing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm a firm, firm believer that as human beings, we evolved to actually be omnivores on the omnivore mm -hmm. side, but with a little caveat that it's always animal based. So I yes. always say, you know, carnivore, yes, great for a reset, but does it fit in with your lifestyle? Like you say, 90% of people find it really hard and struggle to fit in with their own lifestyle. That's why I say to them, look, think about your own lifestyle. If, it, if carnivore won't fit in there, think more about being animal-based or animal produce-based with your nutrition. Build your plate, something like an 80-20% ratio. If you want to have those vegetables or fruits in there for a little bit of flavor, a little bit of, a little bit of help with your digestion, then that is great. You can add those in. Don't feel too restricted because I feel like out there now, there's a lot of things saying, look, you can't have this, you can't have that. Keto, carnivore, paleo all have the, their own restrictions. But if we can build a nutrition and, and get everybody to understand that, just focus on those real nutrient dense foods. And I think that's something that people can go with and people can pick up the baton and say, yeah, that's not much more of a change to my life. All I have to do is get rid of those sugars and oils and and the wheat right. and, the, and the bad things, the bad processed food. So maybe I, I can do that. Try and highlight it to people and say, look, it's not that big a change. Just take out all that processed food and then we can go from there and work out your little nuances where you need to go. So we talked a bit about nutrient dense food and I wonder if you can explain to people Firstly, what, what nutrients really are and, and where they're found? What is this nutrient-dense food that we talk about? Sure. So our body, um, you know, it's just a very smart, well-designed body, and it basically outsourced some of the things that it just um, felt like was too much for the body. I guess that's essentially then what these essential micronutrients, macronutrients, uh, vitamins, and minerals are. So um all of the essential vitamins, so uh, let's say vitamin A, B1, and all the B complex, uh, vitamin D, uh, the fat soluble vitamins, and then all the minerals. First of all, we get most of these from the soil, or even if we get it from the animals, the animals got it from the soil. And so we need our nutrients to our soils to be rich, which um, our minerals are depleting from the soils from whether it's from animal foods or even plant source foods. So all of that is kind of depleting. Um, and so if you think about nutrient density, what it really means is just food that has a lot of nutrients, that it's rich in nutrients. So when you are eating processed foods, one, if you think about it, a lot of processed foods are made from sugars and grains, which are not naturally that high in nutrient density. So they don't have all the minerals. They don't have all the vitamins I just talked about. So the governments are aware that they're not nutrient dense. So they've been fortifying a lot of these processed foods. So what that means is they add vitamins back. But the thing is, it's not synergistic. So they're throwing it back saying, okay, wait, so we just um, homogenized and pasteurized milk, but now the vitamin D is gone and the calcium, a lot of it's gone. So let's throw back in fake vitamins so that now it's vitamin D and calcium rich, but it doesn't take into factor. Like, for example, if you get fat free milk, but vitamin D needs fat to be absorbed, is the vitamin D even there in the milk, right? There's no like studies that show that, or how much of that calcium is really bioavailable or absorbable by our bodies. Like all of these nuances are not really being considered. And so when they say, oh, this iron, this oatmeal is fortified with iron, right? 
the thing is a lot of these grains, uh, they have anti-nutrients that bind to minerals. And one of the minerals they bind to is iron. So even if it's rich in iron, how much of it is bioavailable? And the worry is that when we're eating these anti-nutrient rich plant-based foods, and then we're eating like a steak with it, well, it's going to also bind to the mineral of iron in the steak. So it's just, as our food is becoming more depleted of nutrients, we have to become smarter and smarter about every single bite having the most nutrient density because already our soils are getting depleted. And it's just, whether it's steak, whether it's vegetables, whether it's fruits, everything is getting less and less nutrient dense. And so for every bite, we it's so critical at this point that we eat the highest quality and most nutrient dense foods. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I'm pleased you touched on bioavailability as well, because within bioavailability, I think it's important to understand that just because, like you said, uh, things are fortified with certain vitamins and minerals, and even the supplements themselves, I know people buy those supplements in the own little shakeable packets that make a little rattling noise, <laughs> even those not as bioavailable as what people would think. Are you even getting what you're getting, what it says on the side of the packet, 4,000 milligrams of vitamin D, vitamin C, whatever it is? Probably not because the bioavailability is not there in those supplements. Like you said, certain supplements need fats because they're fat soluble. So they need those fats to transport around your body. And that's again, why animal produce is so important in our nutrition because animal produce and, and animal meats and things share the same makeup as we do. So we're, we're easily, it's easy to access for us that particular vitamin let's say something like in a, in a carrot the makeup of vitamin a is the precursor is beta carotene so then we have to convert that into something we can use therefore losing a lot of the bioavailability there but in animals it's already there waiting to be absorbed right, right. yeah and i mean that's a great example it's that and the thing is there are some people that don't have a lot of the genes to help break down the beta carotene and convert the preformed A to um, vitamin A that's usable. Um, another example is um, with short chain fatty acids, right? So one of the biggest arguments is we need plants because these plants have fibers that then our body will use to break down and make short chain fatty acids. Well, butter also has the bioavailable form of short chain adies, um, fatty acids. So the irony of all of it is if your gut isn't healthy enough, it's not going to really break down and absorb and do all the work that the digestion, digestive process needs to do to even do this. And so if you think about, you know, plant-based foods that have a lot of fiber, I talk about it in my book, but some of them have a lot of sugar. So one, our liver has to be working on, and even the um, pancreas has to work on, you know, producing, uh, breaking it down and then absorbing the glycogen and then, you know, producing the insulin. But if your gut is not great, how will it use the fibers to then break the, it into short chain fatty acids that are good, you know, nutrients for butyrate for the gut when butter, even with your bad gut, if you can tolerate dairy, it's more bioavailable that the chance of you getting the short chain fatty acids or the butyrate from um, butter is much more likely. So, and that same things go with meat, right? So plants, you have like broccoli, um, spinach, all of these foods have anti-nutrients, as we talked about that bind to minerals. So the easy thing to think about is, hey, animals can run from their predators. So they don't need to have 
toxins stored in their bodies to uh, be a threat so that no one will ever eat them again. So animals can run, whereas plants cannot. So they are you know, stuck in the ground and so they need a protective mechanism. And one thing is toxins and poison. So if you eat them, the goal is that you get really sick or you get malnourished, what's happening to humans, and the idea is, hey, don't ever eat me again. And that's the way that they protect themselves because everyone's goal in life is to reproduce, right? Um, and to carry on their genes. Uh, so if you think about that, animals, if you eat them, even with the worst digestion, the worst gut health, you will have the highest chance of absorbing any of the nutrients because there are no anti-nutrients. And like you said, they're the makeup is similar ours that it's just very much more assimilated and you don't have to do any conversions. You don't have to convert like vitamin A, you don't have to convert the short chain fatty acids. You don't have to convert K there's a, but oh, you don't have to and convert non-heme to heme. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, if you look into the science, it's all there. It's just all there. Yeah, that's great. And I'm pleased you broke it down for us like that because it, it can get confusing, but that's the best way to look at it. Animals can run away, plants can't. You know? yeah. So they've got to have some sort of mechanism to stop you wanting to eat and stop people wanting to go back and back again for that. So that's what they do. They send out a chemical to your body to try and stop you doing it again. Right. <laughs> but, no, that's exactly it. Um, interestingly, I just learned recently that eggs have the same thing. So if you think about it, when an egg gets, um, you know, when his eggs is on the floor, it can't run. So there is protective mechanisms within the egg whites that also will try to get you sick. And it's funny because most uh, people are intolerant to egg whites. So they have a sensitivity. I think it's 5% of the population, but there are other proteins within the egg whites. There's a lot. Um, one of them is lysozyme, which can actually irritate the gut and cause more gut permeability. So in general, most people will not do well eating egg whites. And again, it's the nature's way of protecting the embryo, right? And it's it's just so fascinating. So yeah, yeah often when you find people say they have an egg intolerance, it is all generally always the, the white, not the yolk. So I've often said to people, if you think you've got an egg intolerance, then just try eating the yolk, see what happens there. Because like you say, it's the protective part of the egg not that it's, it's bad to eat but 99 percent of people will be perfectly fine with right. that and it's a it's a great source of all those proteins and the full array of amino acids like you say um so um to, let's touch back on on those processed foods then because that's what we're really trying to steer people away from our ultimate goal yes is to get people to eat all those animal produce and all that nutrient-dense food but let's bring it back to the beginning and get those people off those processed foods now Processed foods tend to be things in packets with something that you mentioned early on, like seed oils on packets. Why have seed oils become such a big thing in marketing and what do they do to, to insides of our bodies? How do they stop us being healthy? Sure. So I think it was in the 40s and 50s where um, people started demonizing and there's a few like people that ran studies like Ansel Keys that basically demonized saturated fats because all of a sudden heart disease was getting um, more prevalent, which didn't really exist 100 years ago. And so there were studies done and they were kind of inaccurately showing that saturated fats is what caused heart disease. And so once they demonized that these companies because you can use um, 
you can use beef fat in foods and it can kind of be shelf stable for a little bit. I know at McDonald's, they used to use beef fat to fry their French fries. And so all of a sudden, because of this demonization, they had to change fats and they started using seed oils because they weren't as rich in saturated fats. And then on top of that, they were very shelf stable and they were super cheap. Uh, one was particularly was uh, canola oil. So it was a plant found in Canada called rapeseed. And th what they did some finagling to basically the composition of the oil was that they it could be raised really cheap and that it'll be shelf stable. And then also it um, there was one other thing, but basically it didn't have a lot of saturated fats. So what they ended up doing is, but this oil is toxic if you ate the plant by itself. So they do all this, these processes to basically clear out the oil, um, use deodorant, bleach. Um, they like burn it like seven different times. So you're getting all this like rancid oil. So essentially they're cooking the oil over and over in a plant that's not even supposed to really be producing oils. And then they make it odorless, colorless and tasteless so that we use it and we don't even notice. But the thing is these oils are basically um, they're bad now, right? So they're oxidized, meaning that they have these unstable electrons. And so when they go in your body, they basically are looking for a pair of electrons. Like if, you know, to talk about it chemically, but essentially you're eating these bad oils that then cause terror in your body. And what they do is they start, you know, ripping apart good, um, good cells to then steal the electron or jump onto a different cell to add their electron, but essentially it causes a lot of inflammation in the body. What's happening is you're eating this toxin and then inflammation. The reason why we inflame is so that we can fix whatever's going on. And so then you start having a lot of inflammation and then chronic inflammation is a lot of times what causes um, all these metabolic diseases and a lot of other health issues. And so we don't want chronic inflammation. It's good. Like if you you know, hurt your ankle or hurt your wrist and, you know, it's gets swollen, it gets inflamed and the body's doing stuff there to fix it. But if your body is constantly inflamed because you constantly are eating soybean oil, canola oil, all the plant seed oils, you will then just have a more poorly run down body that will then just um, be more susceptible to illness. That's right. Yeah. And that's what it's doing by having a high processed food diet that's what's happening you're just constantly pushing these oils into your nutrition as well as the sugar which we mentioned before you're pushing all this into your body which is causing your body to inflame to try and fight it off because if i was to take it back again to our ancestors our body knows what to do with saturated fat it's had evolution it's had all those years to consume saturated fat so it knows how to process it it knows what to do with it but as you mentioned, these seed oils are now chemicals, chemicals which we're putting in our body that our body does, just does not, not know what to do. So it inflames, tries its best to fight it, tries its best to rid of it, tries its best to battle, combat against it. And then think about that, doing that every day, every meal. Your body is just fighting and fighting and fighting, never gets any let up, never gets any chance. So immediately that's what people see and that's what people feel when they come off that processed food. They start to feel less inflamed and, and their body gives time to really, I don't know, turn the dial down, just listen to itself and start to think about the real foods then that we can push out there in nutrition. 
So I, I've seen your um, infographics and all the information that you put out there on Instagram. It's really, really great. I love all the diagrams and things that you put out there. They're so good. It's one look at it gives you so much information, much better than reading paragraphs of the stuff. And it's brilliant. I urge anybody to give you a follow. But talk us through then what inspired your, your, your book in the first place. Was it the case of, right, I've got to get all this information out there. I've got to tell people how it is. Or was it just a case of saying, right, let's fight against big marketing, let's fight against industry, maybe a bit of both. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, as I was sharing, so my background is I was a consultant by trade before I was a nutritionist. And so I just learned to create, you know, presentations where I would have to tell a story um, and share information to these C-suite executives. And so I use that with my psychology. So I have a degree in psychology. And so it's just, how do you get people to be motivated, right? So I think mindset, the mental health part is such a big deal. How do you get people to change habits? These are all really important things, even in a diet. And so when I started doing all these posts on Instagram and Facebook, I would get the same questions over and over after a while. And I realized there's just no one succinct place that has animal-based nutrition or meat-based nutrition that just talks through everything. And so I decided I'm going to write a book. I've always liked uh, writing. And so, you know, I, the way that I came about the book though, is that I don't start with, you need to eat meat. You're wrong if you don't, but it's just, let's just peel back each layer and let's examine everything about our food system. So one thing, first thing first, and I know this is a little different for you guys, but the USDA, the United States um, Dietary Association, they passed this law where certain, or maybe it was the FDA, the Food Drug Administration, but they passed this law where certain additives that are in our foods are no longer going to be legal. So in like the UK, it may already be banned, but for us, it's not. So then I said, okay, so let's just go down this list first, remove all the foods from that, which then it um, is a lot of the processed foods. And then I just started kind of using that thinking. And then I got into foods that are banned in like Europe or in Asia or Canada or Australia, but are not banned in America and why, and then the toxins in those. And then I talk about, okay, well, let's talk about food dyes, right? They're banned in most countries. Like um, there's one specific graphic I show a McDonald's uh, Sunday, strawberry Sunday. So I compare the UK ingredients and it's, natural colors, there's no food dyes, but in America, it has all this other processed stuff. And so the question again is why, like, why are we allowed to eat that when in the UK, they don't have to, and the flavor tastes pretty much the same. Um, and so if you start filtering down that, then it's like, okay, fine. So the end result is that we should just eat, you know, whole food. So whether it's plants, whether it's meats, and then I talk through the, um, some of the things that are not ever considered about like, for example, organic plants, right? So we know that genetically modified foods aren't ideal. And I talked through in great detail why it's really toxic to our bodies. It's confirmed that it causes like glyphosate, for example, causes um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. So if we know all that, then obviously the thought process is, okay, well then I'll just eat organic plants. But I also talked through how just per acre. So, or uh, for example, in, America, California has probably the most organic uh, farming. And if you see the amount of pesticides and or herbicides they use that are organic, it is sometimes like 10x the amount that they would use for glyphosate. Now, someone can argue and say, well, glyphosate is much more toxic, but you have to wonder if they are spraying your plants 
multiple times and much more often? And um, is it really safer? And there are some that I talk about in the book that are so good that they made a conventional version and they no longer call it organic, but it's the same product that the organic people use. And so the question is, is it really safe, right? And then you think about mineral content and these anti-nutrients. So first plants are notorious for binding minerals, but then they're also mineral deficient. So a recent post I came across is that apples in just 70 years have lost 95% of their iron content. So then on top of that, you're eating anti-nutrients with these pesticides and then the mineral binding, all this other stuff. Like, is there really a benefit in eating plants? And I'm not saying there isn't if, you know, have the variety, see if your body is more, you know, stronger and resilient, but I don't think it should be the core of our diet because we've just done too much damage to our soils and our plants to say it's truly safe, unless you plant your own plants. Yeah, that's it there. You just got it right at the end, because I do believe that, you know, working out yourself in your own little garden, your own little allotment, even in your own little community, that's the way to do it. That's the way to incorporate those vegetables and those fruits or whatever you want to grow in your own nutrition. Because if you really think about it, like what you're saying, how many of these vegetables, fruits, um, any sort of crop, how many grow on that mass scale that is being produced in nature? Right. It just does not happen. So because of that, they have to use pesticides and herbicides and all sorts of things to stop disease happening. Well, mm -hmm. like you say, then they, they try and call it organic when really is they're still using these chemicals to stop all the disease spreading throughout the whole crop. So it's right. not really that organic. Organic to me means like what you say, grow it in your own back garden or get it from your local allotment society, whatever you've got. And I like the way there that you highlighted the difference between um, some of the UK produce and the US, um, even even a global thing like McDonald's in the UK, ours has um, a few little less ingredients than it does over in America. Not by any means saying the UK one's good and the American one isn't. No, they're both just as bad as each other. But for some reason, um, America seems to have let in a lot more things slide, a lot more ingredients go into their processed food. So on the processed food scale, you could say America tops it and then Europe and everything follows on behind. But that's what we need to do globally is get the message across. Just stop all this. Stop eating all this processed food. It's not good for you. It's had things added to it across the board. Now, nowadays, there's over 200 names for sugars. There's all these different names for all these seed oils. There's all kinds of different e-numbers which are added to your food. So I always say to people, if you are buying things in a packet, look at that ingredients list. If you don't recognize things in there, then then put it back on the shelf. And that's it's a great message to get across to people. And I really admire yourself and, and, and anybody trying to do it. But if we if we did, if we're now to take it back to um, what you've settled on a, a carnivore diet with those extra little bits thrown in there, that all that real food nutrition, then the way that you can refine your health and the way that you could potentially push forward with your health is to listen to your body. And when I say listen to your body to people, what I mean is things like only eat when you're hungry or don't force snacking, things like that. And it could be, there's, there's something called intermittent fasting. I've, I've flipped it on its head just recently and called it intermittent eating because that's really what you do. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about intermittent fasting, the, the, the term that it goes. I, I really don't believe anybody should have forced fasting upon themselves, but can this be part of a healthy diet? Sure. So I think intermittent fasting, if you were to just eat the standard American diet or, you know, just have a diet with about, I don't know, like 45% of your diet being carbohydrates, then intermittent fasting could be good because essentially the whole point of intermittent fasting. So maybe just having two meals a day without snacks. So is that you have a period where your insulin gets to rest. If you are eating a lot of carbohydrates, your uh, blood glucose will go up and then insulin has to constantly help bring it down so that it's in this ideal range of blood glucose levels over time, as you constantly, you know, have the afternoon crash or are constantly eating every two to three hours, you will constantly have this up, um, ebb and flow of insulin. And oftentimes that can lead to insulin resist resistance. So then you have to have cortisol come in to then normally is just a emergency kind of lever to help you in case like you need to have extra glucose in your system to run from an animal, but now it's just helping you to moderate your blood sugars on a day-to-day -day basis. So what was an emergency tool is now being used all the time, which also leads to more disease. If you have chronic cortisol in your system, it'll cause excess inflammation. It causes worsening of menopause symptoms for women because when women are about to go through menopause, they, the um, ovaries now give the hormone making capabilities to the adrenals. And if your adrenals were always producing cortisol, it becomes another stress. So that all said, in a perfect world, the reason why intermittent fast fasting works for people that eat higher carbohydrates is you just don't have that swing with um, insulin. So you just eat maybe two meals a day for maybe 12 hours at a time, you're not even eating or 16 hours. And so your insulin levels get lower. And the thought is that, so you become more insulin sensitive so that when you do eat, your blood sugar goes up a certain amount, your insulin comes and lowers it and cortisol has nothing to do with it essentially. Um, but when you are in a fat adapted state, you don't really um, have spikes with insulin. So I don't know how beneficial intermittent fasting is on a ketogenic diet. Obviously, you don't want to constantly be snacking on sweeteners and anything that will um, have an um, uptick with your insulin. But if you were to have, um, I guess, three meals a day eating a meat based diet, it's not, I don't think it's any better than having just two meals a day. Intermittent fasting is good in general to lower your insulin, but when you are in, on a ketogenic diet, typically your insulin is already low. Yeah, brilliant. I'm pleased you think like that because that's exactly what I always say to people um, is build, I always say build it into your lifestyle because there is certain people out there if they're on a high fat carnivore diet who still want to do fasting. And that is absolutely fine. If you still want to do your intermittent fasting, if you still want to do your longer fast, 24 hours, three to five days, whatever you fancy doing, then it's great. It's got other benefits um, along with autophagy and um, stem cell repair and all sorts of, sorts of things um, that I've talked about before. But the, the real thing that you have to nail down is it's got to fit in with your lifestyle. So do not think that you have to be fasting. You don't. If your nutrition's spot on, if you're on a, a brilliant animal produce, 95%, 90% animal produce with your nutrition and you're eating three times a day, then fine. That's what fits in with your lifestyle. I get so many people saying to me that my nutrition's great, but I just can't do this fasting thing. 
I say, fine, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do it because as you just explained there, your body is not battling against itself. It's not trying to lower all those levels. It's not trying to make you insulin sensitive. You already are because your nutrition's so spot on. Like you say. No, and I was just going to say that fasting, um, it really is very bio-individual. So, you know, when I first started carnivore, I did OMAD and I think it wrecked my digestive system because it just did not know how to tolerate that much meat and that much food at one sitting. I think it was just sitting there and I didn't have enough hydrochloric acid, the stomach acid to help break it down. So for some of my clients that need to eat higher fat, but can't tolerate higher fat because they've been eating low fat for decades, I tell them actually to eat four to five small meals of meat base because what I want to do is just make sure they get enough nutrition in. Right. So initially, and these people have already been eating meat based for a while. So it's not like their blood glucose is all over the place, but in general, you know, it, I know it kind of goes against mainstream keto where it's like eat OMAD or one meal a day or eat two meals a day. But ideally people will fall into the two to three meals a day without snacks. But if you need it initially in order to adapt to eating this way, but getting enough nutrition in, you may have to eat five meals a day and they're just very small, maybe three, four ounces of meat with like one tablespoon of fat. But one, it helps hedge your bets in terms of nutrition and absorption. If your gut is messed up and you don't want to take a ton of supplements, it's probably the smartest way to eat, right? So you give your gut five different times with very small amounts of calories that you can absorb as much as possible. If you only eat one large meal, and your digestion is messed up, that's the one time your gut gets to absorb the nutrients and that's it. And so um, I do think that if you do like five to seven day fasting once a year, it's ideal um, only because there are different uh, benefits that you can get when you do that longer of fasting, you could do a lot more cell cleanup. I talk about it in the book. Um, If you eat one meal a day, you have 2,500 calories and then you don't eat for another 27 you may not turn on autophagy because there are certain parameters around it. And if you eat an excess of protein, even in that sitting, you you probably won't be turning on autophagy. And so in that way, if you do maybe once a year, you do a really long extended fast of like three to five days, um, you could just do some cleanup in your cells. But otherwise, yeah, if if intermittent fasting doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's great. And I just want to, I just want to clear that up because I know that there's going to be people listening now shouting saying, but, but Matthew, you told me don't eat five meals a day. <laughs> and what we're saying is it could be an absolutely brilliant transition period. I, right. I, bet, I bet there's not many people out there. I don't know if you've worked with any that do it long-term. No, because, no, no one, no one does. No, because, but it would be a great transition from being a high processed carbohydrate nutrition person so then you've still got a lot of meals to get that nutrition into you. That's what you're saying. You've still got all oh, to get nutrition into you and keep those insulin levels down, keep your blood glucose levels down, but you're still managing to work your body, still managing to go through that transition phase to generally, like you say, everybody ends up with the two meals. You know, if you're an athlete, three meals a day full of that uh, nutrient dense food. So, so that's great. Yeah, I'm pleased you said that. Yeah. I mean, I only eat two meals a day. Sometimes I have a snack, but it's just because let's say I'm not eating dinner with my kids or something and I'll just snack with them. But in general, if you're eating clean and then your body and your gut, and you should heal it if you're not. So ideally you're you, the only reason you'd be eating the five kind of smallish meals is you're assimilating to this way of eating. It's not that you, I don't know anyone that needs to do that long-term 
Um, because if you're healing your gut, you shouldn't have to eat it that small of meals. And then if you eat two to three meals, I mean, you just won't feel that hungry when you are keto, like you're fat adapted, you don't get those hanger symptoms. And so it's very abnormal actually to eat the five small meals. That's just, you know, it's basically eat however you can remove the processed foods, remove added sugars, remove um, a lot of the boxed packaged foods and the seed oils, and you will be so much further along than worrying about should I fast? All of these are other side benefits, but the core thing is just get all the seed oils out, get a lot of the refined carbohydrates out and a lot of the refined sugars, and then you will be in such a greater place. That's, and the food dies. Yeah, food dies yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's a great thing to emphasize because there is a lot of nuance in nutrition, a lot of all different roads that you can aim down and when you're first starting off there's all this information out there there's all this fasting and nutrient density and protein and fats and a high fat carnivore low fat carnivore all that kind of thing but really like you say let's break it down just get off that processed food get off those sugars initially get those seed oils out of your nutrition then we can look into introducing more nutrient dense foods keeping you fuller for longer getting you metabolically flexible because that's what it's all about metabolic flexibility I still believe that you could go too far over onto the fat burner side, and but a lot, a lot of people more commonly are too far over on the sugar burner side. What we need you to be is somewhere in the middle. Metabolic flexibility is what we call it when you can just go throughout the day burning whatever fuels available to you and you don't suffer anything like hangry pains or, or anything like that. So that's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I think especially if you don't just suffer with diabetes and, um, you know, any of those metabolic disease, I don't think fruit, um, especially if you were to take off the skin and eat the, maybe the lower glycemic index ones, um, they're not, you know, harmful, especially if you don't eat the ones with higher oxalates and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like, like say it comes back to, to real food. If it's real food, then it's going to be a thousand times better for you than anything in the packet. I mean, there is the, like I say, there is the debates out there, you know, um, fruits and vegetables versus meat. Obviously, like like we've explained today, it's best animal produce because that's where all the nutrients are and, and you won't have to supplement or you won't have to add anything into your nutrition if you manage to get it all from your food, which generally is animal produce. And there is those debates out there, but let's get you onto that real food first and then we can talk right. about, you know, going back to your particular journey, your own journey. I mean, uh, some people will say, but I'm plant-based and I would I would initially say to them, that's great because you're thinking about it. You're starting to turn the cogs in your brain. You're starting to work out that nutrition could play a part in your health. Now let's get to it and let's look at the science and let's look at the study like you did. And invariably yours end up with animal produce being those nutrient dense foods, those foods that keep you fuller for longer, sustain you all the way through the day and build health basically. Yeah, no, that's well said. I mean, When I did research for the book, um, veganism wasn't even coined until the fifties or sixties, or maybe it was the forties, but it's, I mean, it's been less than a century and there has been no, um, no community or culture that has thrived on a a plant-based diet. It just doesn't exist, but there are some that have survived on animal based. So 
if you're help, you know, this is what I'll say. If you are plant-based and you're listening to this conversation and you're thriving, you sleep through the night, you have good stools, your mood is good. Your hair's not thinning. Your hormones are good levels. Your weight is on a decent amount. I mean, weight is like balanced. If all of those things are kind of boxes uh, that you can check off, then keep doing what you're doing. But if your health is declining and you're plant-based, your energy's low, your gut's all messed up, you have constant blood, like all of the things I can talk about from my own journey with it, then we have to start questioning the narrative. I mean, maybe the plants aren't that good for you, right? Our bodies have natural biofeedback mechanisms. Meaning, for example, if you were to eat um, some rotten meat, your first stench of it would turn your stomach. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know, oh, like, don't eat that. That is our biofeedback from our body. We have forgotten to hear a lot of the other ones, right? So back in the day, we could have maybe smelled a food and we're just like, oh no, I probably shouldn't eat that. But we've lost those cues. And a lot of times the processing um, helps us to kind of lose that, but we need to get back to that. So in general, if you're not feeling well and you know that you are relatively eating clean or whole foods, then we need to dig a little deeper. Like what else is it? maybe you're not eating enough meats, or maybe you're eating too many anti-nutrient rich plant foods that are binding to your minerals. Maybe your life is really stressed and it's not, you know, it's causing you to have too much cortisol. The thing is to keep digging because it age should never be a reason why your health is poor. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well said. It's like, like we always keep reiterating all the way through go to that real food. And, and what it does is like you kind of explained there is turn the dial down on all that sugar and all that processed oil. And what happens is your body starts to give you those signals, starts to listen, because we are in a way the sugar and the oils kind of mask what's going on. You can't hear all the noise coming from your body. You can't hear some people can hear like a little bit of information in a joint or um, back pain or something like that, but you can't hear everything. If you was to turn all that sugar off, turn all those processed oils, the wheat, all the in inflammatory foods off, then you start to think, hang on a minute, I really know what's going on now. For one, you can start to taste your food, know that. <laughs> and also your body starts to tell you what, what's good for you and what's bad for you. Because I've heard it said before, and I really do believe it myself, your body is in charge, not your brain. Sometimes we think our brains are in charge of what's going on. But if you really do listen to your body, your body will tell you what it wants, what's good for it and how to heal it. Like you say, if you are broken, so that's a brilliant way yeah. to, to say it. And um, our time's coming to an end now, but if you just want to tell everybody um, what your book is, where they can find you and, and all the information that is that you put out there, that'd be great. Sure. So my book is called Carnivore Cure. It's basically a very dense meat-based nutrition um, book, and it also has an elimination diet. So if you suffer from autoimmune, if you just have ailments that standard care is just not fixing, it's a way to just incorporate uh, a meat-based diet and then slowly reintroduce things, including plants over time. Um, the book um, is pr pretty much paperback in the States. You can buy it um, internationally, but we have to mail it out from here. So it just gets a little pricey. So I know there are people that do buy it internationally, but some people also buy just the ebook. The ebook, I think, is everywhere on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other uh, book retailers. Um, it, I think it's also on Apple. Uh, and then there are, and I have an audio book coming out soon. So that should allow the book to be more readily available globally. Um, and then you can find me at Nutrition with Judy. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, 
Nutrition with Judy. And uh, my website is www.nutritionwithjudy.com. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've shared some of your posts on Nutrition with Judy because like I say, the infographics that you put up there with all the information is brilliant. So I urge everybody to go and follow you, add you on Instagram at Nutrition with Judy. And yes, I do have the Kindle version of your book. You can get it from Amazon in the UK. So anybody listening in the UK, um, you can get the electronic version if, if, if you want to do that. And I urge you to do that. It's a great, great read and lots of information in there as well. So absolutely brilliant. It's been great talking to you today. I've got one last question for you. And I ask everybody this, I'd like to put you on the spot. <laughs> What's the one thing then, the, the one, part, one sentence, one bit of advice that you could say to somebody listening today who's thinking, okay, I'm going to make that change tomorrow. What do I do? Just eat the meat you enjoy. Just get, yeah, just eat the meat you enjoy. Um, you know, what I say, what, how I end my YouTube videos and podcasts, which I think is very fitting is, um, you know, make sure to eat a lot of meat, take care of your body because it is the only place you have to live. And I think that's just, it's, um, it's just so true. So even if you are plant-based, if you can get some more quality animal proteins in, it will help you because for example, we need a lot of B vitamins and fat soluble vitamins, and they are so rich in animal foods and they're, they will give you nourishment. And if you are struggling with mental health, that is what I did. I mean, that's, it's, it's the place to start. Yeah, brilliant. Adding the animal produce, brilliant. <laughs> thank you very much, Judy. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. Great insights from Judy Cho. Uh, if you want to follow along with her, and I suggest you do, she's got some really good things going on. It's Nutrition with Judy on Instagram. And her book is called The Carnivore Cure. Uh, go check that out. You can get it on Amazon as an ebook. So it's a really good read. And plenty of information in there for you. If you want to know the services that we still offer, they are on our website shop. So check that out at humannutritionlifestyle.com. And we offer the products in the shop. And we've also got the services option there as well, as well as some recipes on our recipe page. So come and check us out. Follow us on Facebook in the Facebook group, Human Nutrition and Lifestyle. And follow along on Instagram at Human Nutrition Lifestyle. So looking forward to next week, we have the UK's leading low-carb specialist, Nicola Howard. So that's something to look forward to. She's worked with lots and lots of people in the UK and promotes the low-carb nutrition approach. I don't think we agreed on absolutely everything, so tune in next week for that conversation. It was a good one. Until then... Stay safe, be happy, and I'll see you next time.